Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. And today we are joined by five other people. There's a total of seven of us, which feels appropriate as we are stepping into the world of Game of Thrones and the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> so, uh, to my left, we're joined by Rewa Wally. Welcome, Rewa. Hey, bro. So, Rewa, um, he is a spoken word poet, an educator, a long-time game player, and the self-professed big dog. Damn straight. Em- em- <laughs> emphasis on the dog. dog. Uh, welcome, Phoebe. Welcome back, Phoebe. Hello. Um, Phoebe is, a, as, as we know from our previous episode, a filmmaker. She's a film enthusiast. And when she plays games, she is the master of the poker face. So welcome, Phoebe. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. No worries. Uh, we have another Jeremy in the house. Welcome, Jeremy. Hello. So Jeremy is a uh, big-time GM with us, with a bit of a teaching problem. It's a G- but game, game master. master. Nice jokes. I yeah. I this one. Um, it's kind of, uh, again, appropriate, Game of Thrones. So welcome, welcome. And Sarah, Sarah's here. Hi, Sarah. Sarah is a maester of statistics. She works in the world of life insurance, judging the life expectancy of humans, which feels very appropriate for our discussions today. <laughs> welcome. And Katie, welcome back, Katie. Thank you very much. Katie, stage manager, IT specialist, and when she plays Monopoly, she holds no prisoners. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, so today we are discussing Game of Thrones, which is a departure from our usual co-papa of talking about two films. So we would usually talk about one current film and one retrospective with some connection. Could be the same director, same actor, a similar theme. But being that the probably, I would say, the most cinematic TV series of all time has just completed, uh, being that there are films that are, sorry, there are episodes that are an hour and 20 minutes long with stupidly huge budgets, um, it felt appropriate to cover it, cover that this month. So um, before I hand it over to William to give us a bit of a summary, just a warning, we will be spoilering everything uh, with Game of Thrones. Everything is up for grabs. So if you have not completed Game of Thrones, then please pause this episode and come back and listen to it at a later date. Right, William, give us a bit of an intro. Alrighty. So Game of Thrones is based on the book series by George R. R. Martin, start, starting sometime in the mid-90s. Uh, and as of recording, yet unfinished. Um, who, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with good old George R. R. Martin? Uh, it recounts the tales of the political struggles between seven kingdoms of men. But then gets really, really supernatural. There's dragons, there's ice zombies, there's children of the forest. At the base of it, at the the, the, the very you know base of the mountain, of course, is the, the fight for the Iron Throne. Who will end up sitting on the Iron Throne itself and become ruler of the Seven Kingdoms? Excellent. Thank you. We're going to do a quick little kind of testing of the waters. We're going to go around the circle with no extra explanation. I just want to know if you are either satisfied generally, generally, or generally dissatisfied with the end of the show. Arewa. Um, <clears throat> I was pretty bummaged, to be honest. Dissatisfied. Phoebe? Yeah, pretty dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. William? Yeah, I hated it. Dissatisfied. Jeremy? Dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. Sarah? Extremely dissatisfied. Whoa. And Katie? I'm satisfied. <laughs> Katie, I'm going to join you in the satisfied satisfied vote. Cool. Let's, um, let's jump into it. Who wants to jump in here? Satisfied, dissatisfied. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be overwhelmed, Katie. <laughs> I, I do find the conversation around this season to be very, very interesting because I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I I mean, I really felt that last season, season seven, was not a good season of television. And yet mm. there are so many more defenders of season seven than there are of season eight. It just seems like everyone talking about season eight is about, oh, how they ruined the ending, how this and that. And it seems like 
Is it because it's a finale that everyone's so amped up about it? Because season seven, in my mind, made so many mistakes that season eight also did, but oftentimes in much more egregious ways, such as the trip over to the north, and just the final couple of episodes really stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, I don't know, just to, to jump into that, I feel like in general... Y- it's something I thought about when I was listening to a bunch of different quoted or on or people talking about this. Is that like um, there is a is a tendency for you, what you really have to think about is like was it bad in and of itself or was it bad because you were attached to it and you didn't want it to end? And I feel like after analyzing that, nah, it was still garbage. <laughs> 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 no, it was. I, I think the thing is is that like you're right in the sense that like both season season seven was. Pretty trash. Um, like, uh, like to, to to reference a few things, just the idea of um, of uh, time travel or uh, distance and movement. That is actually like a really really important thing. I mean, I'm kind of biased because I read all the books and I'm like, I, I bought a bunch of paraphernalia and like I've got like stuff in my room and I'm just real glad I didn't did tattoo you, my body. I was gonna say, did you get a tattoo? I didn't get any tattoos. <laughs> I didn't get like like Ned Stark. We love you across the. <laughs> Like, did, yeah. did you name your unborn child Daenerys? Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, man. Just, when when yeah. you say time travel, do you mean actual time travel or do you mean just the teleportation? Well, I, 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 what I mean is, is like literally like teleportation, like through different bits of, of, of space and time in really strange ways that defy the laws of, of, um, of, of the world in itself. Like, for example, just, just jumping on your dragon and just flying over to wherever you want, like 10 minutes, we're like, oh, we'll just go here and then like... The, the reason why it's such an issue and why it really matters is because it, it when you start breaking the rules of the world that you live in, you mess with this thing called the suspension of disbelief. So people stop caring about it because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, you can just do this. What stops you from doing whatever? And that's one of the things. But I think one of the reasons why it matters so much more for season eight is um, because you have the opportunity, like people can, I, I would say that people are very much more forgiving because a lot of people like the show and people have invested in the characters. But the thing is, is that you have the opportunity to sort of backtrack and be like, oh, you can forgive a whole season of really bad, uh, what do you call it? Like um, uh, rule breaking of, of, of law breaking and all that sort of stuff. If you come back with it. But they didn't. <laughs> That's the problem. They just did the same thing again and said, oh, well, you know, there's, there's a bunch of memes where people said, oh, well, they forgot about this and they forgot about this. And the more things you forget about, if you just keep forgetting about them, people still remember. I'm not going to say it. The, the North remembers. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but so does everybody else. Yeah. All right, so does everybody else. They remember stuff, and when you don't pay that off, when you when you don't when you don't return to form, people just think you're garbage. Like it's it's kind of how it is. I feel like it's an issue of hope, right? Like if you have a bad season, that's your penultimate season. It's not so bad because people have another season to look forward to and they're like, maybe they'll be able to fix this and we'll have a great season and they're taking twice as long to produce this season. So they're pinning their hopes uh, on the future and then with this final season, you have no more hopes. It's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, psych! (laughs) I think to what you were saying about, uh, William, about how it's... Are people just forgiving season seven because it was season seven? I think so because when it's the final season you do have to step to the plate with it. And one of the reasons why I say I'm dissatisfied is because we got to the end and I just 
I felt nothing. Like, I've seen Harry Potter through to the end. I've seen Scrubs through to the end. So many shows and books. And, like, when you finally turn to that, la- when you turn that last page or you turn off the last episode, there's an emotion to it. And with, for me, the last episode of Game of Thrones, there was nothing. Yep. It's like, it's over. Okay. Yep. But don't hate me, but my main emotion was boredom in the last episode. <laughs> yeah. well, mine was frustration. I just, like, mm. I thought it looked amazing, and people said, like, like it looked so cool. They got the, you know, everyone knows there's the bit with the with the wings and Daenerys <laughs> and the thing. Um, I mean, that was a really cool shot. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a cool <laughs> shot. It was a cool shot. Like, whoever the cinematographer was, man, the dude needs a high five. It's like, bro, you, you guys nailed that. I applauded him in the lounge room. Exactly. <laughs> it was just, as soon as anyone said anything you're just like who wrote the dialogue for this (laughs) (laughs) jesus is back (laughs) phoebe would you want to jump in and oh i think i think the biggest thing is that this the books in the series at the start was just so drawn out and you got really into the politics and the character development and their motivations it really dug deep and we're building up and they've got these lovely character arcs and then it all gets smushed at the end and it feels like there's like a big chunk that's just being missed where you're just like oh we've gone from a to b but how did we get from b to c that's like so fast and quick and just so dramatic that it doesn't feel like it's plausible to get there so quickly um that was the most frustrating part for me it's just like that goes completely against that character that goes completely against the last seven seasons it's just like oh okay I guess we'll just go, just keep looking at the pretty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the pretty pictures, being that you just mentioned before. Do you want to jump in and and start the defense of the defense? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I have defense because you're all making really good points. Mm. And I agree with everything that you're saying. I think for me, it is a case of I I still enjoyed it. I, I still definitely enjoyed it. I'm happy that certain things happen. Like I love that Brienne is the Kingsguard. I'm. I think John is where he wanted to be, and that works for me. I am. I've been Teen Sansa for many seasons, mm-hmm. so I am thrilled that whilst I wanted her on the Iron Throne, it doesn't exist anymore. So she's Queen in the North, and that's perfect. And I'm. I, I'm claiming a victory because she's Queen Sansa. So there's a lot of the things that, from my enjoyment of it, I got things that I wanted, and yes. Probably none of that's going to happen when Grimm finishes the stories, and Brienne's probably going to die a terrible, terrible death. <laughs> but I got what I wanted out of a majority of those characters. I will never understand Bran the Broken. That makes no sense to me at all. But other than that, I think everybody was what I wanted from them, and that was where my satisfaction came from. It. I think I feel the same way as well. I fully everything you guys have said, I, I do agree with, but it just wasn't a huge issue for me. So I, I fully agree with what William's saying about the last season. You know that that trip beyond the wall was just so stupid, and and the fact that um, Gendry can run so fast back to the wall, like, it just, it just seems ridiculous. It's because he has Bobby B's blood coursing through his veins, and just the whole idea that the the dead just kind of stop. And I don't know. There was a lot of issues there, and I also rolled my eyes in that episode when uh, they kill that the White Walker, and then they just you know destroys all the whites. Because I was like, well, I know how this is going to end. So that when it did happen in episode three of season eight, I wasn't hugely, I didn't mind as much because I had already felt that kind of like, ah, plot device back two years before and kind of got over it. Um, But I think I was really satisfied with just how they wrapped it up. And also I, 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 Jeremy, what you're saying, like I have watched a lot of end of, end of seasons and I feel like 
the majority of the criticisms that were leveled against the season are not specific to Game of Thrones. Like, I feel like the same things keep coming up. Um, you know, things being rushed, feeling like, oh, this is not how I wanted it. And I think for me, it's like you have a TV series that's that's built on a narrative structure of of ongoing, never-ending storytelling that then they have to change. They have to change the fundamental structure to complete it so that they have to start bringing things to a close, which can feel like forcing the story that's been designed to be open-ended into I kind think, of I think the, an arc. Yeah, the biggest problem with that is that there was two major, major plot points that they squished into two episodes each. Um that would usually take about at least two seasons to like cover or to like you know go through the build up and the eventual downfall. Are you referring um, to the White Walkers and to Daenerys' destruction? Oh yeah, the White Walkers and the taking over of defeating Cersei mm. was really the second biggest plot point. Um, but to be fair, George R. R. Martin said that if it had been finished in a way that he was happy with, it would have taken another five seasons mm. to do it properly. And I guess it does force him to finish the series because... Because he's not happy with he's it. He's not happy with so it. So he has to finish it so people know how it's supposed to end. Yeah, but I'll and also, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll also just put this, put this out there is that like for them to make episode three and episode five in terms of just budget, like they had to triple the budget and cut it down to six. That's why there's six episodes, yeah. because they needed the budget to, to, to put those on. So it's like, I get that it's rushed totally, but I'm also like, but what have we had those episodes without it being rushed? Uh, they also filmed the ending like a whole bunch of times that it wouldn't leak, mm. which I feel like maybe that was kind of unnecessary and they could have just put that budget <clears throat> elsewhere, <laughs> maybe but given us like two episodes. I, I think also, though, like, th- there's a legitimate criticism in, in kind of what you just shared in the fact that, like, there was an emphasis and a focus on big budget green screen. Like, some of that stuff was really awesome. Like, I'm like, wow, it looked really cool. But I didn't watch this show and I don't like this show because it looks cool. I watched the show because the characters are inherently meaningful because some of the ideas that are discoursed in it have value and are actually, like, resemble aspects of life. Like, there's ways that you can, like, yes, you're going to eventually, at something that that's big, you have to churn a bunch of, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, money into it. But at the same time, if you start sacrificing some of the core elements of the story itself, it's one of like the fundamental taboos of all of um, what, what would you call it modern popular culture. When a story dies, people stop buying the comics. Like it doesn't. That's not cool anymore. And you kind of see that in the sense that like, how do you describe it? Like just so much of the stories. Like I mean, if we're talking about Daenerys, like. I feel sorry for all of the women out there, not just women, but g- generally women who have associated or, or identified with it. And now she's just like this crazy stereotypical woman who didn't get the D, so now she's going to kill everybody, <laughs> which is crazy. I, hate I don't know. That. I'll push back on that. I'll push back on that. I feel like her her story arc became one of my favorite, um, which might be a good transition actually into our next question. But for me, like Daenerys, I always enjoyed Daenerys' story, but never hugely. And then for her to become because I, I got concerned in like season five when I'm just like, she's just going from strength to strength. She believes that she is the savior of everything. In real life, this is not a good quality. <laughs> like, like yeah. we're, we're basing this on the fact that she is actually good. And then I really love the fact that she effectively becomes a fascist. Like that's what she's bringing. Right? I, I, I was really hoping that Daenerys, you know, she's going higher and higher and higher. And you can see in, I didn't mind in season um, H that she was getting worse and worse and worse 
but I was really hoping that she wouldn't fall off the cliff that as far and that she would realize that she was becoming the tyrant. She'd be like, I'm defeating all the tyrants and be like, oh, fuck. I'm, the- <laughs> <laughs> I'm defeating all the tyrants <laughs> and oh, I'm becoming the tyrant now. So it's like, I'm, you know, I recognize that in myself. So I'm going to have to go back across the seas where I'm actually appreciated Sort of thing. I thought that she would come to that realization and leave, and that would still leave the island throne open, and you know, without conflict to who would you know, to her taking it back because she realized that within herself. And I think that's a really good point. I think that she was always mad, and because she, Tyrion made the point, because she was defeating bad people, everyone cheered her. But she was doing a lot of really awful things to a lot of people, so it it wasn't that much of a stretch for me that she went off the deep end. But I agree, if she'd had that realisation, that would have been a great turning point and power to her. Unfortunately, they went down the, no, she's crazy, kill her. Uh, I actually don't mind where they went with Daenerys. I think bouncing off what you said previously, Katie, like most of the decisions they made in the finale actually, you know, I, I enjoy and I think it makes sense in terms of character as well. It's just, it's how they got there. And execution. The, the execution, execution is it's it's everything right I, I mean especially since the previous seasons of the show have trained us to think and to feel at a certain pace and in a certain way i i just don't think the show earns it and mm. to, for her to turn in one episode and for eight years of build-up to come to nothing feels really cheap and really dishonest in a way um I mean, even worse in the finale, it not only does, you know, she commit atrocities, she becomes full-on fantasy Hitler with, like, with the rallies and the banners. And, uh, by the way... And which, the wings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hitler and his beautiful wings. Um, but, uh, f- first of all, which one of the Unsullied had to, like, carry this huge banner across the sea that was... It was the sail. It was the sail from yeah. the ship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wait, it was the sail. Yeah, it was. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Also, where did the rest of the come from? Just another point. Like, where did the what? The, all the rest of the unsullied and oh, all of the the Dothraki. The Dothraki. We, we, we lost yeah. half of our. Yes, yeah. yeah. But, but that's basically the assumption. Them. That's basically the assumption that yeah. all of the Dothraki were sent out. At the There's a lot of assumptions about. in that, but like, yeah, like they're, they're, yeah. People think, oh, that was all the Dothraki. It was like, well, no, we just saw a bunch of Dothraki going off. Who's to say it was all of them? I mean, it was I mean, a lot of Dothraki. It, it, it's a lot, but I think the thing is, is this is the thing that's frustrating in a sense that, like, what you what what stories rely on, right, is either uh, directly showing you something or ex- uh, like using exposition to describe it later on. Now. It was pretty clear that, like, like for example, they used a symbolic aspect of the Dothraki, you know, like, like what is it, like the great charge into the night or um, the charge of the light horse. There's, the light brigade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah there's, there's elements of that, and then you're like, wow, and then, you're like, and then they all die, which, if we're keeping it 100, it's a really dumb move to send your cavalry in first, but, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. I give it thing. But then when they all go out, that was used as a symbol, and then to backtrack on that symbol in the last episode was kind of an example of the lazy writing and poor thought out it's like yes it looks cool as a spectacle to have a bunch of those dudes there and and then like all of these dothraki who just conveniently got into rows and the right like like proportions and all of that looks cool right but the, the the thing is is that it's like you kind of told us in the story that oh well like we didn't kill everyone oh actually surprise there's actually some more People don't like surprises like that. Do you know what I mean? People don't appreciate or you don't feel the value of it because 
again, like you said, there's no earning of those of those things. It's more interesting to see them struggle with having a very small Dothraki force and then figuring out a way to use that to their advantage or find a way around it than just going like... Surprise, there's more. more. Yeah. Just out the bat. <laughs> yeah. Just... I brought, I brought these extra biscuits. Like, oh. <laughs> well, let's let's flip flip this conversation of surprise, and let's let's get to our first kind of prompt or prov- provocation. So, favorite character arcs. So, I guess these are the areas where we feel that there wasn't necessarily a surprise, but they'd earned a, an, an arc. Um, Jeremy, I'm going to start with you, and we're going to move our way around clockwise. So, do you want to tell us your one of your favorite arc, character arcs and why? Hands down, Sansa. She is one of the only characters who, not only did she play the Game of Thrones, not only did she win the Game of Thrones, she actually beat the Game of Thrones. While everyone else is trying to get to the Iron Throne, she's able to uh, muster up all of the things that she's learned from all of these leaders, the things that she's learned from Joffrey, the things she's learned from Cersei, the things that she's learned from her own father, from Peter Baelish, and use them to construct her own throne. And I don't think anyone is more deserving of the title, you know, ruler in the North than Sansa. Uh, The entirety of season seven and eight shows just how worthy she is of that role and that there is no one else who has the desire or the ability to handle that position with the finesse and skill that she does. And like to think about where she starts, say, I want to be queen, I want to be queen. And it's like such a different meaning to where she gets to when she actually is queen. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Sarah, do you want to tell us your favorite character arc or one of your favorite character arcs? Uh, My minor character... Who is my? Who has my favorite arc is definitely Patrick. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of low stake stuff going on in the background for Patrick, and it's just really nice to watch a lot of like his interactions, especially with Brienne. Like, he is able to bring out a lot from her because otherwise she'd be probably quite a stoic, uh, laconic character, I guess. Um, and then favorite major character, sorry, I cheated, is I. <laughs> uh, I quite enjoyed the fact that essentially she just gets pushed into this whole journey that is meant to shape and mold her to take on, like, the big bad evil guy. Mm. Like, it, it's quite amazing, I think, the way that it, uh, the way that she had such a long journey and then kind of came back to where she was from. I won't say I'm happy with everything that uh, that they ended with, but yeah, I, it also makes sense to me that she would go off adventuring. Which I'm sad to hear they're not going to do the spin-off of Iron. Where's the Westeros? Actually, the only one I really want to watch. I think. Yeah. Apparently, she's um, apparently a she's queen. Yes. Yeah. Apparently yes. She's, she's given up on. Uh, on acting because it's so traumatic yeah oh. becoming famous was so traumatic and also so was um, Jack Gleason who played Joffrey yeah. which is understandable can you imagine being Joffrey yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. but he was also so good at what he did he like, was he amazing was like, like hat off to him because he made that character so hated <laughs> yeah. everybody hated Joffrey yeah. everybody yeah. George R. R. Martin like con- congratulated him for that for that reaction that like everyone hates you so much well done <laughs> perfect and I loved to hate Joffrey. Mm. Yeah, oh, he yeah. was so it's good. The, the best villain I've ever seen. Oh, well, but <laughs> yep. excellent. It's also one of the most important aspects of any type of drama. If like you can have a cool hero, cool, but if you have a stink villain, like villains are the testing ground of mm-hmm. of what makes a, a like a hero a hero. They are the challenge which needs to be overcome. So they have to be believable in every aspect. Mm. So he was lit. 
He was, yeah. he was excellent. And I think as well his death, some people didn't like his death, but I thought, well, I, you, you just saw him as a kid, like at the end of the day. He's yeah, just a yeah. spoiled kid with, he's just been given everything he's ever wanted, including people to torture and, and hurt. And I thought he was a, he was a more satisfying villain than Ramsay, because Ramsay was just so horrible. A cartoon? Just evil yeah. to the it core. T- the, the series took the time to really delve into his psychological makeup for Joffrey, mm-hmm. which is probably even, helped a lot. Even the side scenes, like the bit where he, um, where his uncle sends him, well, where Tyrion sends him to... The prostitutes. To, yeah, I was going to say whores because it's the technical term. But, <laughs> um, yeah, um, but, yeah, but he, he sends those two women and then he gets one to kill the other in a really horrible way. And you don't even see, you, you get the beginning of it, they skip to the middle and then all you see is Roz at the end and and I thought that was a really great way of not having to delve into it too much but you get the point mm. that like that type of storytelling beautiful and low budget low yeah. budget mm. no, yeah oh. Katie who's your favourite one of your favourite arcs um, well definitely Sansa I hated her to start and mm. she is my queen <laughs> at the end um, but I actually love Sam Sam Altali and, and his whole thing I I knew I was going to love him from the first episode because he's just so not right for <laughs> the watch. But um, <laughs> he had so many important parts to play in the story and he is clever and uh, misunderstood and all that kind of stuff. I just really enjoyed watching him grow. And, again, I'm really glad he's a Grand Maester at the end. Excellent. I agree. Sansa would be my favourite, but since she's already been mentioned, and you, Jeremy, you, you, you so eloquently summed up the yeah. character, um, I am going to go with Jon Snow, and and I wouldn't have said Jon Snow before the last episode because for me, Jon is a character who always believed he was nothing, and he went, he thought, I'm nothing. I don't want to have any kids because I don't want them to be nothing. In quotes in this world. Uh, I'm going to go up to the north, I'm going to protect the north, and he gets up there and he does his absolute damnedest to not just look after the Night's Watch, but also realises that the wildlings are incredibly prejudiced against, and we need to protect them too. And he ends up getting betrayed because of it, dies, wakes up, and not only is he given the opportunity to go and defend his family, but he gains everything. He becomes, he has a claim to the throne. Not only is he not nothing, he is the most powerful person in the land, or potentially the most powerful person in the land. And I just think his choice at the end for however they got there, um, him having to choose between having all that he wants with the woman that he loves, they can go and just rule the world together. He decides that that's actually the wrong choice. And he not only kills her, but he, he loses all of that claim and ends up right back where he started at the wall. I just think that's a really humble story arc. And I was talking to someone this week about who was just really dissatisfied and they just said... Oh, he, he it makes him look weak. He didn't get the kingship. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's based on the assumption that getting the kingship is a measure of success that is actually um, honourable. And and if Game of Thrones has taught us anything, it's that rulership is really, really messy and really not great for the person in charge. <laughs> um, and so I think not only was it a really humble choice, but it was ultimately a really um, well-rounded and satisfying choice. And I don't think that going up to the north was a bad thing for John. I think he's with Ghost. He's with Tormund. Mm-hmm. He's with his. He's with the North and. Um, he's and hey, at look. the dark. Yeah. <laughs> I had three things going into the final episode that I needed to happen. One was complete the Bran arc in some way, complete the John arc, which I was pretty sure was going to end with him killing Daenerys, and then 
reuniting with Ghost. Mm. And if the reuniting with Ghost didn't happen, I would have been so pissed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was satisfied with the Nymeria conclusion in the season seven. I thought that was cool. It's a statement about Arya and how different she is. Um, but far out, man. You don't keep John away from Snow, <laughs> uh, from um, Ghost, particularly when Ghost did like, pretty much nothing for two seasons. <laughs> to yep. pick on, uh, carry on with what you were saying about uh, John there, now, something that occurred to me is his journey really... Uh, parallels nicely with uh, Maester Aemon, um, not just the fact that they're both Targaryens, but that they both had the opportunity to take the throne through a very legitimate claim and specifically chose not to because they felt that they had another calling. Mm. And both of them wound up back at the wall. And so I thought that was like a really nice mm. kind of harmonious arc for him in that regard. Nice, and because I had I'd already thought of the fact that him ending back at the wall in that way was a nice callback to both Egret mm. and the fact that he was supporting her people to reclaim their home, home and also to um, Mance Raider and that he be- he would effectively become a version of Mance Raider in the North. So I hadn't thought of that. It's a nice connection, and that, that ending is a nice callback to all those people in the North that he... They were. So if I had to talk about uh, two characters which I thought were interesting um, or really held it down, both in terms of acting and the narrative, one of them, um, one of them was Brienne. Um, Brienne was awesome because her story was tragic, right? And she ended in a tragedy. She's this ugly woman, like literally in the books, she's an ugly woman, like Gwendolyn Christie, she's amazing, right? But she's supposed to be an ugly woman. She's a big woman who's really like kind of yucky in the face and like not come. She's the opposite of coming. I'm not trying to be stink to all my big women out there. Shout out to you, right? But like... Like she's she's a really tall woman who's who's unattractive. She's the queen of oh sorry not the queen. She's a she's a lady uh, and like her dad can't get her to marry anybody because everyone makes jokes about her. And she ends up with Jamie Lannister, the like the best looking one of well one of the best looking uh, like best at fighting, uh, really really rich, really wealthy, sought after people in the thing and and gets there only to be let down. Right, because this guy is actually way more keen on his sister, right? Because he he describes himself as a hateful person, and the awkward part of the tragedy of life is that that happens in real life. That's why people like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's got to be some people out there who can relate to that story where they found someone they really cared about, and then that person couldn't hold down the deal. They couldn't they couldn't stay with them, and that that like. That heart pain, that that thing that comes out of that is really, really beautiful. Like people feel sad and be like, you know, she does the ugly cry, man. She ugly cries for him. And he's you know, and, and then she writes some nice stuff about him in the book at the end. Like I would have been like, Oh, you stank. And like you know, <laughs> some real nasty things to be like, he slept with his sister. <laughs> you know, like but but I, I think that was, you know, it shows Brienne as a as an interesting character, but also the thing is, is that she acted her character really well mm. because her character is kind of boring and stoic. Like she's just, she does the right thing. You know what I mean? She, she kicked, uh, what do you call it? The hound's ass, you know what I mean? And lived and just you, you, like, if you're going to be like, yeah, Arya was awesome. Well, she had to practice that move on somebody. Do you know what I mean? And she practiced <laughs> it on Brienne, like Brienne in so many different situations. You're like, man, she's an awesome character. Yeah. Plus she looks cool. Right. Um, can I say, I reckon that she, I, I wouldn't say her, her story is wholly tra- tragic because that moment where she becomes a knight. That was my two. favorite I thing. Up. It was, yeah. it was oh the my best God. scene in that episode. The, yeah, that, the best scene in the season, season, to be honest. That, that genuinely moved my heartstrings yeah. mm. all over the place. Mm. Mm. And well, that shot of her crying by herself, 
like slightly off center in the shot with Jamie leaving and Winterfell was a beautiful shot. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the ugly cry. Well, the, I think that was was also if we if we're gonna pick on scenes in that, as you see that scene of where like she's standing there, she's just got out the bed and she's a big woman. You know what I mean? So like you can tell, you can see her on the, on the screen and she's wearing the cloak. She's not in her armor. The whole show she is in armor. That's how, what she rolls in. And then you see her kind of in this sort of vulnerable state. And then you see her just go completely to custard. Like, her whole life goes to pudding, mm. right? Because there's this only one person that she cares about, the only man in her entire life who has ever showed her any type of serious and real affection over a long period of time. Finally, I wouldn't say betraying her, but but going back to his, his beginning arc, mean. Mean mm. writing. Mean acting. Really, con- like, really believable, really... Re- oh, just good. And Goodness. what made me happy about that is Jamie didn't get the redemption arc that everybody was thinking he was that he was going to get. In the end, he still never got over Cersei and left Brienne and didn't get the redemption. And I, I that was right. Phoebe. Damn, guys, you said all the characters that I liked best. Um, Rita Frozen Sansa from the beginning. Podrick, I was always happy to see. Uh, Brienne, her episode um knighthood she was one of the only characters who actually got her dream goal like her lifelong goal was to be a knight and she got there which kind of made jamie's fall even better that he seemed to be fully on that redemptive path giving it to her and the fact that she didn't believe that she was going to get it even when he said he was going to do it was just like so true to like women really going like yeah i'm going to give you the thing and be like yeah sure and they'd be like no actually i am you're like oh oh Okay. <laughs> but um, to elaborate on the character we haven't touched on uh, would be Theon. Mm. Absolutely. He has the most, um, the biggest transformation that does end in a redemptive arc. Um, he st- starts off as such an, you know, arrogant, um, ungrateful person who really just wanted to find family and didn't really find it, found it in the wrong places goes really downhill killing people unnecessarily but that's got that thread of trying to find family he doesn't really have family with the Starks and he doesn't really have family with the Greyjoys because to both families he's too much the other Um, and then when he gets at his lowest point as Reek and you think there's like he's never going to get up from that bottom and then he does and he saves Sansa and you're just like finally (laughs) it's just like um, you're, he's, he actually got right down to the bottom and he made himself all the way up, right up into the point where he's protecting Bran and he's, uh, he gives enough time for Arya to sneak up and kill him, which was basically his whole purpose was to protect Bran until Arya got there, really. He was never going to do any damage. He was never going to do anything spectacular. He was just the one that sort of... Um, Delayed, yeah. It was the delay that was a protective act, which was, I, I was, I felt like his arc ended in a really good way. I felt I wasn't sad about his death. I felt like he had completed it, that his purpose was complete. Nice. William, do you want to bring us in for landing with character arcs? If there's any left that you want to bring up. Alrighty. Well, well there's one that people haven't really talked about. Uh, and that's my boy, Euron Greyjoy! What a guy! Um, but, but now, if we step out of opposite land... Um, <laughs> <Thank> so... <you. laughs> 
<laughs> uh, in all seriousness, folks, um, Peter Asbeck, I love the actor. Um, I don't know if anyone's a fan of Eurovision, but he hosted Eurovision oh. in 2014. Um, and when he was cast as Euron Greyjoy, my brother and I freaked out. It's like, Peter Asbeck is going to be your... And then it turned out to be the worst decision in the show's <laughs> casting history. And, and Peter, he he's a fan of the books. And he, apparently he wanted to play Peter, uh, Euron like he was in the books, but the creators had other... Anyway. Um, uh, I was going to say Brienne of Tarth. Uh, totally agreed with, with everything everyone has said. Um, I just felt her arc to be really complete um, in a really, really satisfying way. Um, the, the the fact that, yes, the Jamie stuff, I really felt could have, could have really blossomed with just one or two more episodes of time, just a little bit more time. How it actually plays out is really truncated and weird. It's too quick. Yeah. And she just, in the episode, they get together, and then he goes, whoops, and she ends up crying in the courtyard. Uh, 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 you know, the, the points are all there, the, the, the milestones. You just need a little bit more time. Um, and that being said, in terms of characters, I just want to give a very quick shout-out to Sir Davos. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> he's, I mean, since season two, he's just been such a, such a presence. And he's, he's always level-headed. He you know, survives by the skin of his teeth, but also with a little bit of cunning. And I just felt like the, the end of his character, to be on the small council and to correct someone's grammar. I mean, <laughs> the arc is complete, my friends. The arc is complete. That was really cute. I genuinely so. I kind of was really rooting for him to get the crown. <laughs> it was like, Sansa or Davos. <laughs> but like, in, in terms of like Tyrion saying who's more worthy on, of growth and blah or whatever, Sir Davos going from a smuggler mm. all the way up to king is like the biggest leap up in the world and the fact that he is a people's man and he, in that episode he's giving really really good advice mm-hmm. that was just like yeah oh my gosh he's not one of the big houses that everyone can poo over and, um, <laughs> and and he's one of the people so you know the people can get behind him on that fact going like oh you know he's one of us kind of thing he's level-headed he's you know he's got a good relationship with basically everyone also, his his son died as well in the show. Like, yeah. I, I think one of the things that, like, all of the minor characters that they did really well have all gone through sufficient tribulation to be um, deemed satisfying in that sense. And that, like, you're like, cool. Like, he came from a, a stank background, went through a bunch of kings, just took a bunch of crap from a bunch of different people. And also, all of his, like, lines and scripting were, like, were, like, Small, but also, like, really meaningful and kept yeah. a character. Like, mm. you know, the bit where he's like, um, he's like, you're the greatest smuggler in the world. And he's like, I'm not going to like this, am I? Amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Clever. And, like, he's like, yes, I am the, the greatest smuggler in, like, in the world. Like, that could have been one of the lines, but someone changed that and gave him a line that was relevant. Mm. Mm. And I feel like they didn't do that with some of the major characters. Well. Yeah. Or even with, like, Melisandre, when she's going, like, you know, oh, mm. I'll die before the sun comes up. He's not going, like, well, I'm going to kill you first. Or even, like, at... When, before she walks out the gate, he he could have like run after and killed her kind of thing. But he's got that sort of like awareness of the situation, and he's not reckless. And I thought he would have been really cool. I mean, Melisandre, she was one of my favorite characters. I was really satisfied with her, what happened with her. Mm. But yeah. I, do, I do know what he's saying. Mm. Um, all right, we've um, got, can I just do go. one quick character shout out? Yes, Hot Pie. 
Oh, you know, there's an Instagram account at, uh, like this all about hot pie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course, there is. That, the pie that was promised. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Okay, we've got we've run out of time, but what I do want to do very briefly, just like the start, but this time, as much as my pain you to not say too much, please just say the scene, no explanation why. I want to know either your biggest shock moment or your biggest win or your favorite moment, shock, win, whatever that is. Um, so this is um, me attempting to to really unpack some some quite complicated ideas. But I think um, the biggest shock, but also completely not a shock, was John killing Daenerys. Uh, it's probably, I've got other scenes, but the one that was both the biggest shock and the biggest win was Lady Mormont's death. Oh, yeah. excellent, William. Can it be from any of the seasons? Any season. Okay. Um, can I just have two real quick? First, um, season six. I want to say at Hardhome with the White versus John, uh, when he parries the hit with his sword and slices the guy into ice cubes. Whoa, amazing! Um, but my my biggest favoriteest like whoa moment of Game of Thrones was in season two Blackwater when Bronn fires that single fire arrow into the wildfire, and I, I don't think the show has come close to that. The beauty and the shock of seeing the explosion and. The show actually has money to spend on big battles like this. Amazing scene. Mm. Excellent. Jeremy. I'm going to have to give it to the Sept of Baylor. That was mm-hmm. just tremendous in every aspect. The build-up. The music. Uh-huh. That music still gives me anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the piano. Biggest <laughs> biggest win for Cersei. Like I don't think we've seen a bigger win than that moment for one character to take out so many enemies in so many directions in one fell very satisfying swoop. Such a genius, heartless action. Oh yeah. <laughs> so sensitive. And the tension. Oh. <laughs> Excellent. Sarah. Uh, my biggest shock would have to be Oberyn versus the mountain. Oh yeah. Oberyn's <laughs> death wild. will haunt me forever. <laughs> <laughs> Katie. Uh, my biggest shock was the death of Catelyn Stark. Mm. I the, the Red Wedding itself obviously was a big shock, but that was one I genuinely wasn't expecting to happen. And when her throat got slit, I was like, that. I think that's the point that I stopped breathing for the next 20 minutes and couldn't comprehend what was happening. Mm. Cool. Um, I for me, I mean, the the, the Sept of the Baylor was my one. I thought that was that was one of the most incredible sequences I've ever seen. But the one I'm going to pick, and this is the this is the one where, as a book reader, it was the first time where I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen, and I was genuinely sitting on the edge of my seat, being like, either of these characters could die, and that is the end of season four, and it's the battle between Brienne and the Hound. I'm, I don't think I've ever sweared so much, and while watching anything in my life, is watching that episode. Not the yeah. finale. Not the finale. <laughs> no. And shout out to Aya for like taking care of all of uh, the phrase. phrase. Yeah. Oh shout yeah! Out to, oh, shout out damn. to Aya for taking care of all of the phrase. That yeah. was satisfying. Yeah, that was, yeah. 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 taken to. And I use that as an argument against anyone who says that a faceless man story went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Who's okay. saying your Facebook slow story when no one Everyone's saying it. Really? Yeah. People are idiots. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. You can also follow us on Facebook and subscribe to us on Twitter and YouTube, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us future suggestions of films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time. And until then, kakitsi anō. Bye.